Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bow, and myself wrap up our discussion on the Ten Commandments. Welcome to the Being Lutheran podcast. This is uh, Pastor Brett Bowell. Have with me today. I guess I'm Pastor Jason Godum. Yeah, sure. You and I'll be Pastor Brian Ricky for just this episode. For this then. Okay, can we switch sometime? No. When ro- yeah. That's the April 1st episode of <laughs> I, Being Lutheran. I tried that when you were gone. I was like, yeah, oh, I'm Pastor right. Brian. Oh, wait a minute, I'm not. Yeah. I remember, I heard that. Yes. It was well received. Yeah. We were nominated for a Dove Award. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> Oh, my. Yeah, yeah. don't break your arm patting yourself on the back, you know. Ah. Yeah. Well, yeah, so we should probably get started (laughs) here. Get get into it So we've already spent 47 episodes on the Ten Commandments, and we just felt it was necessary to do a review Mm -hmm. to try to get as close to 50 on one topic as we can. Yeah. Uh, So we're going to be reviewing the Ten Commandments today and the next episode, mostly because there are topics that we kind of dove in and out of quickly, Mm -hmm. I think need to be unpacked at length when we're considering God's law as a whole, the Ten Commandments and so on, uh, that... um, you know, really merit having a discussion. And as far as 20 minutes can be a discussion on any theological topic, I think it'll be worth our time to kind of round those out. Yeah, just getting warmed up and, you know, I'm going to feel tremendously guilty when we get on the other side of 50 here and we have like six episodes on the Apostles' Creed oh. because of the structure. We got to find a way to stretch that out just a little bit yeah. because that's where all of the meat in the catechism is at is right. in the Apostles' Creed, but there's only three items. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've kind of... Milk- wrestle with that in teaching confirmation too. Ten oh. Commandments is nicely laid oh. out. And then- well, not me, man. The systematics that are inside the Apostles' Creed oh. is mm-hmm. remarkable, especially yeah. when you get into the two natures of Christ, the person of Christ, the mission of Christ, his atoning sacrifice. And yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. you can, I can talk about that That's for hours. Stuff. So, and, and we will be leaning a lot more on the large catechism when it comes to um, the three articles of the Apostles' Creed. Luther is at his absolute best mm-hmm. uh, in the large catechism on the Creed. It's amazing. Yeah, excited for that. Um, yeah, so today we're, we are wrapping up, as you said, the Ten Commandments having kind of a summary episode on that. And we especially wanted to emphasize the the way the law brings judgment upon mm-hmm. our lives and to talk about that as it relates to all of the Ten Commandments or each of the Ten Commandments or the law as as a total thing. Yeah, the the judgment act uh, the judgment aspect of the law is the feature of the law that is most ignored by American Christianity because you know, first of all, American Christianity doesn't really do law and gospel mm-hmm. the way Lutherans have laid it out for 500 years. But in the way that they do law and gospel is that we kind of shun the law because it makes us feel bad about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And the gospel is about 
more about self-actualization than it is about forgiveness. And uh, so you look at the judgment that the law brings, it's really a matter of God's holiness. And and this is the area I particularly want to go after. Mm -hmm. Because in American Christianity, God's holiness is something that is to be pursued as an experience rather than something that is to be considered and received as declared in the word of God. Uh, and, And really where we see this happening is in the modern praise and worship movement of probably the last 30 or 40 years. Ooh, you didn't go there. I did. We're going to stop for a second. I'm not picking on contemporary music as style, Sure. nor am I denying that it is possible to have a well-done, theologically sound contemporary worship music. You know, a song, uh, there, there's good ones out there. In okay. fact, one of my favorite modern songs is In Christ Alone. I know that's, uh, as far as contemporary music is concerned, that's ancient at this point in time, because I think it's about 20 years old. I think as a modern hymn, In Christ Alone is fantastic. Sure. Uh, it's but, already standing the test of time. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit, as far as contemporary sure. music is, you know. But but what I want to get after is that in America especially, and in just in the modern church, I'm sure Australia and Uh, Europe and and other places are prone to this, but I don't have that personal context. Uh, We are addicted to getting ourselves into the unmediated presence of God. We're chasing after the experience of being in God's direct presence because God is holy. Uh, And and I tried. Now, I have a problem with this because I haven't listened to contemporary Christian music for almost 20 years. I've just shunned it. Mm-hmm. But but the an older praise song, I think, that really in, illustrates this is the song, when we were in college, it was by a group called, uh, I almost said Soundgarden. Definitely not Soundgarden. Um, Sonic <laughs> the, Flood. The fun. <laughs> not Soundgarden. The fun band names. The, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the song Black Hole Sun. No, uh, 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 Sonic Flood. Yeah, uh, I don't know. They probably didn't write it, but they made it popular. Is the song "In the Secret"? Oh yeah. You know, so you have "In the Secret" in the quiet place, in the stillness, you are there, and the secret and quiet hour I wait only for you because I want to, want know, to you know you more. You yeah, I'm not going to sing it, especially <laughs> with professional recording equipment. Right. Yeah. In, in, in a studio, it's not going to happen. But you think about that. It's spit the, a few rhymes. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> my goodness. Please don't go there. Yeah. <laughs> Lord, forgive us. Help us to be back on track. <laughs> yes. In the name of Reeling Christ. Reeling it all back in now. <laughs> uh, th- the impetus of that song is wanting to be in the presence of God, mm-hmm. but it's wanting to be in the unmediated presence of God to experience his holiness. Now, we would ask ourselves, have we seen people in Scripture placed into the unmediated presence of God more or less? The answer is yes. And when it happens, it's always a thing of terror. It's always a situation where you are realizing your mortality and your sin. And the go-to place for that is Isaiah 6, mm-hmm. where Isaiah in his vision, I saw the mm-hmm. Lord seated on the throne Whoa, high and exalted. Yeah. The train of his love filled the temple with glory. And Isaiah's uh, response isn't to raise his hands up into the air and bounce ecstatically, uh, which is what the worship concert 
is designed to do, to put people this ecstatic experience. Isaiah's response is, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Well, even the children of Israel's response as God descended onto Mount Sinai, and they're just like, Moses, you go do this. Uh, we don't want that. <laughs> well, you, you do that. And, and then the, the response after that is, we don't want to hear God speak. We want you to tell us what God says. They're so afraid of God, yep. they don't even want to hear him speak. Now, this is the, the reality of the situation when we round it back to the law, is that God's holiness brings about judgment for the sinner. That's the situation. God's command in Scripture is to be holy mm-hmm. as I am holy. Now, the law for us is the revealed expression of God's holiness. And so God wants us to, to be holy as he is holy. And then God says, here's how you be holy. It's reflecting to us who God is. And we've talked about this, you know, first, second, third, all the way through the ninth and tenth commandment are describing God in his holiness for us in a relationship with him and for our neighbor, vertically and horizontally. And so we take this aspect of God's holiness and it brings about judgment for us. It brings about mm-hmm. condemnation. It's Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness of men insofar that we're ungodly, that we've disobeyed the Ten Commandments. We have nothing but wrath and judgment. Mm-hmm. And you take that from that place forward, the other aspect of judgment that we get wrong in the American church today, and we've talked about this with the three purposes of the law, is that we're, also cha- we're always chasing after someone else's judgment. You know, it's, we, we remember the law is given to protect our neighbor from our sinful selves, but we're always chasing after someone else's judgment. The, the, the best example of this lately... What do you mean? Chasing in terms of wanting or in terms of declaring pointing out pointing? yeah okay. pointing out you know and the best example of this recently is Kirk Cameron came out uh, in a statement saying that definitively Harvey Hurricane Harvey was judging America sure now I don't know for certain and maybe he it was an introspective thing for his own behavior my guess is that primarily Kirk Cameron wasn't thinking that Harvey was given in judgment for Kirk Cameron mm-hmm you know, it's and maybe an even better example is the the condemnation by by certain evangelical preachers in the year was it two thousand five two thousand six yeah, when Katrina hit Katrina. because New Orleans is such an obviously immoral city. Mm-hmm. You know, it's we, we we are quick to point out God's judgment of other people's sin, but we are very slow to realize God's judgment on our own sin, which is the entire reason why God has given us the law to realize that God does judge sin Mm -hmm. and he wants us to go to him to cry out for grace and mercy. I've heard people say in the midst of a sermon where it it was very heavy with the law and it it produced guilt over sin, uh, I've heard people say to me, Oh, that was such a good sermon. I wish that so and so was there to yep. hear it because they really need to hear it. It's it's that kind of attitude that gets magnified on a bigger scale. I just preached a sermon like that. I talked about the difference between covenant love versus contract love, which is oftentimes how the world loves, you know, a give to get. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was so funny because our worship director came up and said, uh, at the end, he goes, who thought of uh, someone that should have heard that sermon? And he goes, me too, and I repent because I needed to hear that sermon. Oh, yeah, good. And that was really moving, and it was really uh, a wonderful moment 
to just remind us that we need to examine ourselves first. Mm-hmm. I, I actually pulled that line in a sermon. It was when I was preaching uh, in seminary. You know, we mm-hmm. in seminary in the AFLC, you kind of act as an itinerant preacher doing pulpit supply for local congregations whose pastors are gone. And, and I can't even remember the passage, but the line specifically was, if you're sitting in your pew right now thinking of someone else who needs to hear this sermon, you're the person who needs to hear the sermon. And then sadly, uh, after church, <laughs> sweet little old lady oh, no. came up to me and said, man, I wish my sister was here to hear that. <laughs> and I was like, oh no, you completely missed the point. But, uh. but you know, the announcement... Uh, from scripture about sin is that God judges sin. God condemns sin and God punishes sin. We see God in scripture judging entire nations. And in fact, we have this amazing cycle in Israel's history where God judges Israel with the ungodly Babylonians and then the Babylonians go too far and God judges the Babylonians for judging Israel. Mm-hmm. You know, God in his divine purposes, ordering human history sure. for his good. We see God does, he can, he will judge a nation. But when it comes to God's judgment, we can never specifically point it out saying yeah, right. this thing is definitive judgment against it. Right. Getting back to your example with Kirk Cameron, maybe it was God's yeah. judgment that that. We don't know absolutely for certain, but uh, to definitive to come out and say definitively, mm-hmm. yes, it was. That's going too far. It is. I think it is too, and I think that the one thing we can say in a very general way is these natural catastrophes are a direct result of sin. That's just yeah, that's right. a reality, and we we acknowledge that. So in a general way, um, because God's judgment is a result of sin, as you said before, as we were talking, you know, the law is for us, but it's against our sin, you know, and even, even, and we reminded of this, even in Romans chapter eight, that the world is infected with sin and that's the result of these natural catastrophes. And so it is part of the consequences of sin and judgment, you know, in a general way, but to try to pinpoint specifically, and I mean, how many pastors have tried to do that? Um, over the years saying that this particular natural catastrophe mm-hmm. was God's judgment on this. And I just think that we have absolutely no right to go there mm-hmm. because Jason and I were talking off uh, microphone a little bit ago, and so this is Jason's brilliance, not mine. But really, if you look at the Old Testament, God always gave a warning to nations that were being judged for the sake of repentance. Nope. You know, it reminds us of Ezekiel chapter 18. You know, does God... Um, desire that that evil people would perish? No, but that they would turn and live. And so this message of repentance for the forgiveness of sin is consistent all through Scripture. And so to say something like that is ap- absolutely, in my opinion, misrepresenting the God and the Father who sent his one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who so loved the world that Jesus selflessly emptied himself and bore our sin, the totality of our sin, and rose from the dead and poured out that free gift of salvation through the ministry and power of the Holy Spirit. It's a total misrepresentation of that. Mm-hmm. And we would do well, as you said, to recognize that God's desired outcome in the law for us as sinners is repentance. Yeah. Yeah. He wants reconciliation. God wills that all men would be saved and come to the right. knowledge of the truth, right? Amen. Amen. Now, an outcome of the law can, will, and has been judgment. Mm-hmm because God is just, because he, God does not, cannot, will not tolerate sin. Can and that's remind, not oh. God's fault. That's the hardness of our heart and our no. lack of, of, of belief, you know? No. And it reminds me of that passage where 
was it people were coming to Jesus and saying, well, what about the people that uh, the tower fell on them? The Tower of Siloam? Yeah, Tower of Siloam. And, and what did Christ say in response to that? Uh, I, I may be off the top of my head paraphrasing the Brett Bow version. Uh, Unless you repent, you will all, you perish, will, likewise. You will all perish likewise. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. You are not better. And, and that's a particular Jewish mindset is that... Uh, Sin always came with a visible consequence, mm-hmm. you know, and so the the most ardent Jews of Jesus' day would have thought that the people who were in the Tower of Siloam when it collapsed were being punished for some sin, mm-hmm. or you know the uh, the next one is I think the example is Pilate mixed the blood yeah of of some people with a sacrifice or whatever I can't even remember it's not in front of me but but that was an excuse uh, this is the reason why in the Gospels. When Jesus heals, he also forgives sin because it's what he's trying to demonstrate is that he has the power to forgive sin. You have Luke chapter 4, the paralytic that is lowered down through the hole in the ceiling. You know, and, and, and it's such an amazing thing to imagine, you know, that, that that's one of my favorite passages for the Bible really coming to life because you've got the sound and you, you, you've got the whole feel of the situation. Jesus is teaching in this packed house. Uh, you got the, the sound of the digging and the chipping away at the, at the roof and the removal of the straw. This guy comes dangling down like some kind of <laughs> stage act and he's, you know, and finally in front of Jesus and the crowd's waiting, what's Jesus going to do? And he leans forward and says, your sins are forgiven. Mm-hmm. And they, they, you know, blasphemy, right? But then Jesus heals the man. And the whole principle of that is that Jesus removed the consequence of the sin in the eyes of the Jews. So then he could prove that he also had the power to remove the sin. And we look back at the law then, Mm -hmm. the law is absolutely there to show us our sin, not because it's bad or because God is malicious, because in showing us our sin, God wants to present us with our Savior. Mm -hmm. God wants to have grace and mercy. He wants to have fellowship with us. He wants to be reconciled with us, but that can only happen in one way. It's not by our earnestness to be in his presence. Mm -hmm. It's not by the sincerity of our piety. It's only and always the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this last episode. I think there is kind of an underlying perception that once you come to Christ, once you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, things are going to be peachy. Things are going to go really, really well, but that's just not the case. Jesus said, you know, if I, they hated me, they're going to hate you. And and we're promised persecution. First Peter really talks about that too. Don't be surprised that these things are happening to you, like something weird's happening. And that's happening to everybody around the world that are believers in Christ Jesus. And so... Yeah. We're not immune to the effects of sin in this world, the natural catastrophes. Your van was totaled, yeah. uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and, and you're going to be buying a new one here and all of that. So we're not immune to that just mm-hmm. because we love Jesus. Right. But it's, it's just keeping our eternal perspective on the mediated presence of God in Christ Jesus, that we are to abide in Christ Jesus and rest in his completed work and allow that to inspire us and enable us to live in our vocation. There it is. Bingo. Yeah. Wow. To live. <laughs> Did we just <laughs> 19 it minutes in the episode. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> to, to live in our vocation as an act of worship to a holy God who is worthy of our praise. And I, I wonder, on the flip side of that coin, what would happen if you were to take someone like Creflo Dollar or Benny Hinn or Joel Osteen out of the comfort of their Gulfstream jet Mm 
and fly them to Jordan or, or to Lebanon or to Iraq, where ISIS is, is, is terrorizing uh, not only Christians, but fellow Muslims over there. And, and to, to take that prosperity gospel context and say, okay, Creflo Dollar, these Christians have lost everything. They're starving. They're, they have no shelter. They're living in blown up ruins of a, a war ravaged city. You tell them to their face that they don't have enough faith in Jesus. What would happen? Mm-hmm. You know, this is the thing. Benny Hinn, Creflo Dollar, Joel Osteen aren't taking mercy missions to the Middle East. They're raising money uh, in the wealthiest communities in the United States. That's what, what they're doing. And, and they're, they're praying off of the less fortunate who think their money is going to buy them healing and happiness. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case at all. That's not what faith looks like. That's not how we trust in God. Mm-hmm. I think they're turning the atoning sacrifice of Christ into snake oil. Oh, absolutely. And it just, it is uh, quite offensive to me. And it, I just, I'm thankful that you brought that up because... It's, it's devastating. Oh, it just, it just cheapens the in- incredible atoning sacrifice of Christ. Mm-hmm. So as we wrap this up, um, I guess I'll ask Brian, do you have a scripture to share? Or, I do. Yes? Okay. You know, and as we talked about the law and, and the, again, the law is good. And we've talked about this before. And I know I said this last episode, but I think it's worth repeating that, that in Christ Jesus, the law moves from our accusatory record of wrongs to our gentle teacher in Christ Jesus. And the law is good when it's used, used in its proper function to continually bring us back to the foot of the cross, to be dependent upon Christ, because apart from Christ, we can do nothing but in Christ as new creations, looking forward to that eternal hope, this then becomes our confession and also our benediction from Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also, invite a friend to check us out on iTunes. Please join us next week as Pastor Brett, Pastor Jason, and myself discuss sanctification. God bless you and have a great week.